If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number three of this week's World According to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this program where we provide you with at least two hours, but this week three hours of honesty and rationality in the midst of the onslaught of insanity and deceit, which dominate the media, cultural, and political landscape. And the basic reason why I'm providing an extra bonus, if you will, hour number three, is because this week was my 50th birthday. And also because there were a couple of updates on the Penn State case. So I figured I'll throw this all into the third hour for people who just uh, for whatever reason find uh, the things that I do unique to my life to be at least somewhat interesting and worthy of your time. And I can assure you that this hour or whatever it's going to be of the World According to Zig podcast is something you're not going to hear anywhere else on any level. That is an absolute 100% guarantee for better or for worse. So strap yourself in. Now, let's start with the uh, the Penn State situation, which I have been immersed in for the last five years. I have a website, www.framingpaterno. That's framingpaterno.com. Not a conspiracy theory. I would never have named it Framing Paterno if I had known how this was all going to turn out, but that's what I named it five years ago. The framing is figurative, not literal, although it may have been literal in some ways. But I urge you, if you're at all interested in finding out what really happened instead of the media mythology that's been created over the last basically six years of that never-ending story involving Jerry Sandusky and the Penn State football program and the so-called Penn State cover-up, to please go to that website. Now, as you're probably aware, if you follow the news at all, the former president of Penn State, Graham Spanier, was convicted of one count in the trial, which I attended a couple of weeks ago, one misdemeanor count of child endangerment. He was acquitted of the two felony counts, one of the conspiracy and another charge involving child endangerment. Now, in a rational world, considering all the advantages that the prosecution had, this would have been a humiliating defeat for the state of or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, because after six years of claiming that there was a massive cover-up at Penn State and having the media carry their water for them and having the jury pool completely polluted in their favor, 
all they got were three misdemeanors against these three guys when they originally charged them with 24 counts and they went completely over on the felonies. But rationality has no impact on those who are in the mainstream news media, especially on this story. To them, this was somehow proof of a cover-up and vindication for their horrendous and erroneously based rush to judgment back in November of 2011 when this story broke hugely nationally, resulting in the firing of the legend Joe Paterno. And then he, of course, dies a couple of months later after all this. And there's been a never-ending domino effect of injustice that has continued to this day. And part of that was the one conviction that Graham Spanier got. And I had warned Graham Spanier this was going to happen. I've gotten to know Graham exceedingly well, spoken to him dozens of times for many hours, met with him, 100% sure he's innocent like everybody else at Penn State was, but especially Graham. He was a child abuse victim himself. The idea that he was going to cover up for a guy he didn't even know who was a former employee is just insane. It's just, it's just. It's just flat out ridiculous. The whole thing is an absurdity once you get to know the facts of the story, and it's not close. Anyway, I, I predicted to, to Graham he would get uh, convicted because I was convinced that his lawyers were not up to the challenge, that they they basically thought they were playing football in a dome stadium. That's the best analogy I can come up with. Because when you play football in a dome stadium, you know, it's a controlled environment. And and you, you think that, well, under the law, they have no case, so we're just going to play by the, by the law. There's no way we're going to get convicted because the system works. And what I've been trying to tell everybody on this case is you're not playing in the dome here. You're playing in a hailstorm. So all the normal rules no longer and all the normal strategies no longer work. Well, unfortunately, I was correct. No one ever admitted that to me, even though I told everybody at the trial what was going to happen. But it's it's a weird thing about being right against conventional wisdom. Nobody ever says, you know what, Sig, you, you were right. We, I apologize for doubting you on that. That never happens. In fact, almost universally, you never hear from anybody because no one wants to admit that they were wrong or that they should have listened to you. That's just a human reality. And I've seen that happen time and time and time again, which is one of the reasons why there's never going to be any benefit to those of us who never bought into the Donald Trump cult. Never going to be any benefit to the, to the 15 people or so with any kind of public platform that decided not to buy into Donald Trump as a conservative. Cause nobody of importance ever going to say, you know what? You were right. We should have listened to you. It's just not going to happen. They'll come up with some rationalization or they'll just ignore it. It's human nature. Well, anyway, this week, the jury foreman of that trial came out and did an extensive interview. And lo and behold, he said, you know what? Um, I regret our lone guilty verdict against Graham Spanier. He said, I'm paraphrasing, I wish that I would have held out for a mistrial. And had the defense put on any witnesses, I'm pretty sure, again paraphrasing, that we would have acquitted him on all charges, which was exactly (laughs) what I had told Graham Spanier and what I told everybody else, that they were not giving the jury anything to hang their hat on because the emotions involved in this, and that's all that the prosecution was playing on, was the emotion of the whole alleged child sex abuse that 
supposedly occurred, that everyone believes occurred when there's no actual evidence that occurred uh, at Penn State or, or anything related to Penn State. And um, and so, unfortunately, this, this jury foreman <laughs> vindicated what I had said 100%, got a little bit of media coverage. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I figured with the, the normal coverage in this case that they would just say, well, sorry, jury foreman, you, you didn't give us the story we wanted, so we're just going to ignore this. But it was fairly wi- widely reported. However, it was dwarfed in coverage and drowned out by a related story that the media liked much, much better. And that was that a Penn State Board of Trustee member by the name of Al Lord, who I know a little bit and have spoken to a little bit and met him at the trial, Al Lord had made a comment to a academic journal that nobody reads that he was starting to lose sympathy for the so-called Sandusky victims and referenced the fact that they uh, they are worth seven figures because of the settlements that Penn State gave them. And uh, I knew immediately when I saw the headline in USA Today, I'm like, uh-oh, look out below. Al's going to get crushed. And sure enough, oh, my gosh. You look up in the uh, the dictionary the the concept of pearl clutching. Have you have you heard this? You know, it's it's popular in conservative circles when liberals in the news media get all outraged over something. It's like an an old lady clutching her pearls, like she's oh I've, I've got the vapors. Oh my god, clutching my pearls here. That's what the media reaction was to Al Lord. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He said something negative about the victims, not the victims. Oh! It, it, was, it was highly predictable and, and frankly, kind of humorous uh, because of its predictability. It was also um, it's just flat out ridiculous because here's what the media was doing. They were presuming that a guy, I realize the media is, is a bunch of idiots, with a massive agenda on this case. But if somebody just thought for two seconds, for two seconds, gee, why would Al Lord be saying this? Because who is Al Lord? Al Lord's a guy who is um, a multi, multi-millionaire, okay? That doesn't mean that he can't be nuts. A lot of multi-multi-millionaires are nuts. I don't think Al is. I think Al is one of those guys who, being a multi-multi-millionaire, frees him up to say things no one else will say because he's got FU money. So, so, the re- so that's number one. So let's take a look who Al is. He's a member of the Penn State Board of Trustees uh, and has had a very respected business career and has a lot of money. And also has access to a lot more information as a member of the Board of Trustees of Penn State than anybody else, any of the morons in the media have, especially those who haven't been paying any damn attention to this story for the last six years because they thought they knew what the outcome was. So wouldn't you just take a second to go, hmm, maybe he knows something we don't know. Maybe he has access to let's say like all the documents that Louis free on whom the media is basing all their perception this, in this case, maybe he has access to the free documents that weren't made public. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe he has access to 
the statements made under oath and not under oath by the victims themselves. Maybe he's actually read their depositions. Maybe he knows that some of them didn't even show up for their depositions after they got paid. Gee, I wonder why that would happen. Maybe, maybe our Lord has a lot more information, including knowledge of the people involved. Maybe he's really good friends with Graham Spanier. Maybe he's spoken to everybody. Maybe he actually knew who Jerry Zanuski really was, as opposed to the media myth created about him. All these things would be legitimate and very you know, logical questions that you might ask. No, 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 no. We have no time for that in the Twitter world. We must immediately retweet these statements made to USA Today, and we must mock them as being disgraceful. We must clutch our pearls and be outraged that anyone would say something negative towards the, not the victims, which of course is exactly how this whole story evolved to begin with. Because these victims have been encased in a force field of unprecedented strength. It's an impenetrable force field that was created six years ago when before anyone knew anything about them, Penn State University was holding a candlelight vigil with 10,000 people. (laughs) Insanity. I mean, at this point, we know nothing about the story. Nothing. And because Penn State is feeling like they have to be politically correct because they had been accused of, you know, going on a riot after Joe Paterno was fired, you know, as a liberal academic institution, as almost all of them are, and all these special snowflakes, oh, no, no, we, we must honor the victims. Let's forget about determining whether there, any, there were any victims. That's, that's, that's beside the point. We need to be PC, and so... They hold a 10,000-person candlelight vigil for these people. They hold a prayer before the next football game at midfield with both teams on national television praying for victims they know nothing about. (laughs) And it turned out these guys were all a bunch of frauds. Now, they were helped in their fraudum by a bunch of therapists and police officers and prosecutors who all thought that they were putting the Loch Ness Monster behind bars. But the reality is (laughs) that these people they were praying for most of them in my investigation have spent their money on fancy sports cars and gambling trips. Just, just like you would expect a, uh, a victim of child sex abuse to do. So, um, I, I immediately emailed Al Lord, Lord and I urging him not to back down because that's the, the normal progression here, right? You, you, you accidentally say the truth. And by the way, he said it to this, this academic, uh, I don't even know what it, what you would call it, but there's some sort of a, a academic paper that no one pays any attention to. And, and had the media wanted to ignore it, they easily could have because no one was going to read this. But because they liked it, because it forwards their narrative, oh, Penn Staters don't get it, outrageous. Then all of a sudden it's important. Meanwhile, and you can find this at framingpaterno.com and freespeechbroadcasting.com, I release an hour-long interview from last week's podcast from a former federal investigative services agent who investigated the whole thing, says there's no cover-up, there was nothing to cover-up, he's positive of it, and he approved, or helped get approved uh, Grand Secret Security Clearance. I released that on Law News, which is far more well-known, read, and credible than this academic paper, and 
everyone, almost everyone, completely ignores it in the media because they don't like that. That doesn't fit their narrative. That doesn't forward their agenda. Anyway, so I email Al Lord. I said, Al, great, <laughs> great to hear your comments because I could, I could assure you that his real beliefs. I don't want to speak for Al, but Al's real beliefs. That's that's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Al probably believes even more strongly than I do about what really did and did not happen in this case. And he has a lot more access to information and documents than I do. But anyway, I, uh, I said, please do not back down. Do not back down. And he, re- he immediately responds with a, with a four-word response. Back down, question mark? Not likely. <laughs> I was like, yes! We have a testicle sighting in Penn State University, the first one in six years. First sign of any testicles whatsoever. And I can assure you none of them showed up in any kind of abuse with Jerry Sandusky. So, so this was the first time we've seen any balls at all uh, from anybody. Uh, and so far he has not backed down. And much to my surprise, so far no one of importance has thrown him under the bus. Uh, on what I would consider to be the good side of of this story, and he is running for re-election for the Board of Trustees. So that will be key to see whether or not he gets re-elected. If he gets re-elected, on, <laughs> oh, that's going to be awesome, <laughs> which I think he will. Based upon what I can tell, I see no signs of uh, him not getting re-elected. Uh, that could change if someone decides to, you know, get all uh, wussified and throw him under the bus. But as of right now, boy, I, the, the seeing the media reaction when he gets reelected to the Board of Trustees is going to be just fan frickin tastic. My, my favorite part was the, the local newspaper in in, uh, in the State College, Harrisburg area. Uh, of course, everybody destroyed Al Lord in the news media. But they wrote that, uh, you know, that him being criticized even on ESPN might harm his chances of winning reelection. I'm like, are you... You morons aware that being criticized by ESPN among the people who will vote in an election for a Penn State Board of Trustees is a badge of freaking honor. It's the great he he should he should actually run commercials with ESPN criticizing him because <laughs> ESPN is a huge part of the reason why the whole damn thing happened to begin with. So that was an interesting uh, set of circumstances, but Al. But Al, you know, basically committed heresy, according to the media. Blasphema! You know, and, and if he doesn't back down... Blasphemy! He said it again! <laughs> That's what it is. This whole case is a religion. It's a myth. It's the Loch Ness Monster. And he, he had the gall to say there was... There's no Loch Ness Monster! Destroy him! Now! All right. Um, now, uh, this week I turned 50 years old. Oh seriously, I, we don't we don't need this really. But, but, but <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. All right. So, <laughs> yes, my my daughter was very excited because birthdays are everything to her, and um, because it's a half a century, and um, you know, and I, I don't ex- I, I don't expect to hit another major birthday. I mean, when you're a man, especially I mean, after fifty, who really starts. Who even still counts? I guess seventy-five would be important if I made it that long. I, I doubt that I that I will. But I, I wanted to take an opportunity to to talk a little bit about life 
because of the fact that this is, you know, a pretty good excuse to do so. You kind of take stock of where you are and where things are going. And and I, I will say that in my first 50 years, I have certainly lived a very, very interesting life. That's number one. I mean, you know, if if the goal in life is to keep from being bored, I have done an excellent job of that. And that in that realm, I have I'm probably off the charts. I'm in the point zero zero one percentile of not having lived a boring life. So on that, uh, I'm very happy about the first fifty years because it has not been boring. That's for damn sure. It also has not been easy. <laughs> it's been at times exceedingly difficult. Now, that's not to say there hasn't been some really good things that have happened. In in describing my 50 years, I think the way that, in a nutshell, I would put it, is that, and obviously I have nothing to compare it to because I've only lived one time. Even, you know, Shirley MacLaine might disagree with that, but I'm pretty convinced I've only lived one time. I feel as if I've had a lot of very, very good luck and a lot of very, very bad luck. I don't feel it's weird. It's, it seems like there's, it's either at one end of the spectrum or the other on almost every aspect of my life. And I don't have an explanation for that. I don't know whether it's because, you know, when you're riding a roller coaster, you tend to have big highs and big lows, but to me, it feels like things that are outside of my control. Like, for instance, I mean, incredibly good luck, knock on wood. You know, my wife's about to give birth to a second child on what she firmly believes was basically her last good egg. Literally. I mean, literally. And she desperately wanted to have a second child. And I'm convinced that you know, that our daughter, Grace, was in great need of a little sister because... She needs to be informed that the entire world does not revolve around her, which would is going to be tragic news to her. It's going to be, and it's going to be earth shattering when she suddenly realizes that no, she is not the center of the universe. And so, you know, we we desperately tried. Uh, my wife was already convinced; she was already creating the narrative that it was all my fault that we had waited too late, and that she was going to end up with only one kid, even though she never even expected to have the first kid to begin with. But once you have the first kid, now you're looking on the second one. Anyway, long story short, you know, we were we were prepared and willing to do everything. We started with fertility treatments, spent a pretty good amount of money, and we were just about to throw the Hail Mary pass for the most invasive, most expensive, most dramatic fertility treatment, which, frankly, I... My great concern was I didn't think it was going to work because I thought it was too late. And somehow by some miracle, and I don't believe in God created miracles, but statistically a miracle on what she can say. Just before we were about to start that, she ends up getting pregnant with what appears to be a a perfectly healthy girl, uh, which is just incredibly good luck. Incredibly good luck. And, you know, in general, I've had incredibly good luck with, the world in which I grew up in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, two parents uh, that, uh, while they didn't like each other, they ended up getting divorced. That's the bad luck part. But they created a tremendous environment. I happened to grow up incredible. I mean, as a sports fan, I couldn't have been luckier. In fact, I actually think it's it's in a, in a weird way negatively impacted my 
view of the world because I grew up having expectations for life that were completely out of control because I grew up as a huge sports fan in the suburbs of Philadelphia at a time period when every single team, and I mean every single team I followed, started to get great right when I was 12 and 13 years old. They had been crap when I started watching sports at like seven or eight. Other than the Flyers, they they were good at it already. But the, but other than that, everybody got great. Nineteen eighty, when I turned thirteen, was like the, the was the greatest year of my life. And even Ronald Reagan got elected. I mean, and I mean, I'm thinking this is awesome. Life is awesome. Everybody I root for wins, even if they might went lose the championship. But I, that's good enough. You know, the, it's Philadelphia. We're not supposed to win anything big. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan wins. Republicans take over the whole country. The, the 80s are just phenomenal. And unfortunately, along this way, nobody informed me about the way life really was. And that's probably my greatest regret in life. And I mostly blame my father because to me, your dad is supposed to give you the heads up on the way things really are. My mom who had an enormous influence on me, like most mothers do, but probably more than in most uh, situations. I was definitely a a mama's guy, mostly because my dad was working his butt off trying to make money and wasn't around very much. So because he wasn't around, he wasn't there to give me the, here's the way things really are. And my mom was very idealistic and very much like the way things ought to be type of person. So she, because of the influence that her father had had on her, she was very much a truth and justice and loyalty and do the right thing kind of person. And you got to live with yourself. Don't worry about what other people think of you. If you you do that, it'll all work out. All that kind of stuff. And never really equipped me with what I refer to as the rules for life. I've often wished that I could become famous enough to write a book about life in general, which I would entitle everything I ever needed to know. No one ever had the guts to tell me, you know, that's that book, everything I ever needed to know. I learned in kindergarten. No, no, no one ever had the guts to tell me what the real world was like. So I grew up under the delusion that the, the rules that were laid out for me, for instance, by my mother, actually were the right way to go or that they might be effective. And when I, I was very slow to realize too slow until it was too late was that all these rules are wrong. Now in defense of my mother, I think the rules have changed over the 50 years in which I've lived. Like for instance, with regard to truth, I do believe that during my lifetime, Lying has gone from being verboten or taboo to now not only being accepted, I think it's now preferred. I think most people prefer you to lie. This is how Donald Trump becomes president. People like it when you lie to them. A, 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 you know, a positive or pleasant lie is going to go much further than an unpleasant truth. It's, especially in this day and age. And we've now left the gravitational pull of the rational earth on that. I think it began with Bill Clinton. I, I, I believe Bill Clinton remaining in office after his whole 
lying under oath in the Monica Lewinsky situation. That, to me, was the point of no return. When the President of the United States can get away with that, and, and actually in some ways even benefit from that, then it was over. And I don't think there's any way to go back. I also think that the definition of loyalty over my 50 years has dramatically changed. And this was something that my grandfather never could fully understand because my grandfather was an incredibly loyal guy, my mother's father, and dim loyalty was everything. And even I was smart enough to figure out, I don't know, somewhere in my 20s, that the definition of loyalty had changed. Loyalty in my grandfather's world was you do something because someone has done something for you in the past or because you just like them or because it's the right thing to do. Today's definition of loyalty is what is it that this person might be likely to do for me in the future? The past means nothing. What you've done for someone in the past means nothing to a huge percentage. I don't know what it is, but it's probably in the high 90s. So those two things, and I I think that we are still going to rue the day on this. Glenn Beck and I had an interesting conversation when I was in Dallas a couple weeks ago when we were not talking about the Penn State case. You know Glenn Beck. Uh, John Ziegler. I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. We had an interesting conversation on his television show about how the fabric of our society, a lot of things that used to hold us together, and for instance, held us together during the Depression era, are no longer there. And that once the economic situation delves in or devolves into catastrophe, that societally, socially, we're going to crumble. Because, for instance, those two things I just discussed, the definition of loyalty and the importance of truth, have eroded completely. And those were the two of the things, along with belief in God or religion, that, which is also eroded, for better or for worse. Those things held us together during past crises, especially economic crises, and through world wars, they don't exist anymore. Now, we're not seeing massive, you know, chaos because economically things are really pretty darn good. Life has never been easier. It's unbelievable how easy life is today in comparison to the way that it used to be. But that's not always going to be the case if Glenn or I are correct in our assessment of where we will eventually be. Because I I do believe, I'm not quite as into the catastrophe scenario as Glenn is, but because uh, I, I don't know when it's going to happen. See, I, I, I think technology has saved us in so many ways temporarily that it might take longer for all of this to play out than some people fear. So I don't know when it's going to happen. It'll happen. And when it happens, when the crap hits the fan, we got nothing to hold us together anymore. We really don't. And so anyway, back to how this has impacted my life. I lived my life based upon a set of premises that were wrong. Partially because the rules changed and partially because no one gave me the heads up. In in every area of life. One of which, by the way, was girls. Oh, my God. No, nobody gave me any idea of how to deal with women. Not that anybody fully understands that to this day, but even based upon what I now know, 
about the way women work, my God, was I doing it all wrong. I mean, I could not have possibly been doing it more wrong in every conceivable way. But no one gave me that heads up. And, you know, it created quite a bit of confusion and heartache. That being said, though, kind of with the whole theme of my life, incredibly good luck, incredibly bad luck, I, you know, married now, I've been married, you know, with a woman I've known now for 11 years. Uh, I got in, in, I did way better in dating life than I ever deserved to. I mean, my God, the, the, the geekazoid that I was as a, a kid had no right uh, dating uh, anywhere near as, as many uh, interesting, attractive women as I have in my pre-marriage life. I mean, I was the guy, this is how much of a geek I was. Totally true. In eighth grade, I was the guy who actually wore the orthodontal headgear to school. That's really bad. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. You don't get to be a bigger geek than that. And so so for the guy who, the super skinny geekazoid who, you know, in eighth grade was so excited about Ronald Reagan being elected, who wore his orthodontal headgear to school for me to end up uh, having the dating life that I had is a miracle among miracles. Again, I don't think God had anything to do with it, but there was, there was a lot of luck involved, but it wasn't because I had any clue about what the hell I was doing. That's for damn sure. But that, that also was the same reality in, in, for instance, career situations. (laughs) Here I grew up thinking, if you worked really hard and did a good job that, and you cared about the work product, that those were things that really mattered, that that would pay off. Ha! Ha! No, 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 Ziegler. No, 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 no. It's all about politics. It's all about politics, especially in the realm in which I was working with, you know, TV, radio, film. It's it's all about politics. The product means almost nothing. And in fact, the number one thing that I have learned uh, about a career in the media is you are actually in far better shape. You are far more likely to succeed if you don't give a crap than if you actually care. Which is 100% opposite of what I thought. And what I based a lot of my actions on. And I have seen it firsthand, especially now in the era of Trump. The people in the media who have succeeded the most are those who care so little they don't care what they say. They have no principles. It's not about truth. It's just about getting the best ratings on that day and making sure they don't piss off their bosses and they get along to get their paychecks and they can remain celebrities. And that's what's important to them. Now, I don't I don't know whether or not that was even ever in my DNA to begin with, but I would have at least liked to have known those were the rules. But nobody told me. So through all, you know, through huge portions of my life, I'm working on a set of rules that is totally wrong. I'm playing a game not knowing what the right rules are. So I'm consistently banging my head into walls. And being too stubborn to to realize, wait a minute, 
maybe maybe someone gave me the wrong rules. I kept thinking, no, this is an aberration. This is this isn't the way it always is. No, that's actually the way it always is. That's that's what it is. And the rules that I was given by my mother were not accurate. Transferred by my grandfather. Now, would I have changed that? I don't know. Because part of what drives me is I am big into paying off debts. I have no debt in my financial life. None. Zero. We, I've never, never bought every car I've ever purchased on cash. I've purchased every house I've ever purchased on cash. So uh, I, I, do, I despise debt in every possible way, but I also despise personal debt. And sometimes it's very esoteric what that debt is. And so to my mother, because she gave us everything, I mean, she devoted her whole life to myself and my three siblings, that was a big deal to me. I mean, you know, This is the way she wanted me to live, so that's the way I'm going to do it, even if it's not the most effective way, because I'm paying off a debt to her. And as it would turn out, and this is kind of why the 50th birthday is an even bigger deal to me than it would normally. Normally, I wouldn't care that much. But my mother, on her 51st birthday, was killed in a car accident with her boyfriend at the time after after my father had divorced her. So I'm, I'm getting really close outliving my mother, which is really scary from an existential standpoint. Never thought that would happen, right? And that's just just not the way it's supposed to work. But I've always still felt a a debt to my mother to live my life in the way that she would have wanted. And to this day, I still do things almost subconsciously based upon what I believe that she would have wanted me to do, even though I know it's... (laughs) It's not a smart thing to do. Like, for instance, the whole Penn State deal. I guarantee you that subconsciously I'm, I was hearing my mother's voice going, you, you got to do this. You can't let this go. You can't, you can't let this injustice stand when you're the only person that can do anything about it, even theoretically, even though you know there's no realistic chance of success. And so that drove me and still drives me to, through a lot of this. But I would say that the biggest revelations of my life, and this goes to partially this issue of the rules being different than what I thought, this is certainly within that realm, and this is going to probably piss off a lot of people, but this is true. The, things, the two things that I've learned most, partially because I understood that the rules I was given were wrong, is that I have learned that the nature of humanity is corrupt, evil, and stupid that human beings are inherently bad. Most human beings are... But they're also bad people. And worse than that, the people that pretend to be really good, they're often the worst people. That was a revelation that took me a while to figure out. But I don't like people. I presume most people to be idiots and corrupt or both. But I'm also, I'm still at a disadvantage in dealing with human beings. I have a slight advantage in that I no longer care. And this was a, this has helped me enormously psychologically. 
I honestly no longer care about human um, reaction to anything that I do. <laughs> I, I, most people go around like Donald Trump wants to be loved. I couldn't care less about being loved. Your love means nothing to me because you're a human being and your love is, is based on something to do with you, not with me. And it's, and it, and, and you're going to remove that love uh, if it ever really existed on a whim. And it's, and the only real love is that between your, your parents, maybe, or maybe even only your mother and yourself. That's it. Parents and child, everything else is all bullshit and, and negotiable. And so human approval means nothing to me. And when you don't care about human approval, especially in the media, <laughs> that frees you up enormously. But I'm in, still at a disadvantage, even though I don't care about human approval. I still have this rule because there have been a few on a hand, you know, on, on maybe a handful. I can count maybe on one hand. There have been a few people that I don't consider to be corrupt or bad or stupid or any of those things that I consider human nature to be. I'm still hopeful that I'm going to find a few of those people. So I have this matrix, this equation, if you will, that I use, which has not been particularly successful, but I don't have a better way of doing it, of giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. I presume everybody, I'm always wary, but I'm always, I'm giving everyone the opportunity to show me that they're one of the exceptions. But what does that do? Invariably, that opens you up to get screwed. Because you're immediately in a, in the chess game, you're at least a couple of, of uh, moves behind. Because the bad person is ahead of you inherently. Because the man, you know, I'm an easy mark. I'm a very, I'm incredibly easy to screw over. Because I, 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 you know, I, I'm like, you know, the the British army that comes at you in a in a straight line that plays by the rules, and you know, you can just mow me down if you want to, because uh, I, I'm I'm completely transparent. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm not going to deceive you. This is the deal. This is where I'm coming from. And so, therefore, if you want to screw me, it's incredibly easy to do. Now, once you do that, you're dead to me. <laughs> and you will probably pay a price somewhere along the line. History has shown you probably will. No one ever wants to believe that, but history has shown that you will. People think that it'll never happen to them, but it usually does. But the problem is, because I always want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, that puts me in an inherently precarious and disadvantaged position in the chess game of life. And to my benefit, there have been a few people, not many, I've referred to these as my foxhole friends, people who have passed this test, some of whom have even screwed me at some point, but we've been able to get over it because I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. I, I'm more realistic about humanity than anybody I know. In fact, uh, I basically have a test now. I was thinking about this the other day. If I haven't told you to go fuck yourself at some point in our relationship, we're not really that good of friends. <laughs> That's, I mean, we, if we haven't had a knockdown, drag out, go fuck yourself, uh, where, you know, where the relationship was at least imperiled, if not cut off, then you probably don't mean anything to me. <laughs> but that's not by design. That's just the way it kind of works out. And it, cause you know, once, once that happens, I find relationships are a lot stronger. 
if they survive. Most of them don't, but some of them do. Now, the second thing I've learned, and, and this is in, in, uh, certainly in conjunction with the, my view of humanity being extremely dim, and I believe far more realistic than most people, is that I have also concluded, far too late for it to impact my worldview, that there is no act of God and there almost certainly is no afterlife. I grew up as a Catholic. I refer to myself now as a recovering Catholic. I see no sign at all, and I've looked carefully, that God has any impact, if there is a God, that no logical, loving God has any impact on what's happening here on earth. None. Zero. And if you follow the logic of that, why then should I possibly believe with zero evidence or logic that there's this wonderful afterlife where good is rewarded and evil is punished. Where on earth does anything like that happen? Where, where have we given any indication that, that the afterlife suddenly will be any better or, than what God, if there is a God, created here? To me, the afterlife is a pure and very understandable creation of the human desperation to rationalize their meaning. Because this existence can be pretty damn meaningless and pretty horrendous. So we have created this idea that something afterwards is going to be better. And that even though there's oftentimes no justice here, there will be justice there. Bullcrap. There's no evidence of that. There's no logic of that. I don't believe it. My view of death is basically what happened in the final episode of The Sopranos. I didn't really think of it until I saw the final episode of The Sopranos, but if you, if you remember the very controversial ending to The Sopranos series on HBO, everything just goes to black. Suddenly, the, move, the, the music stops and it goes to black. And I think that that, episode was fascinating in people's reaction to it because nobody wanted to believe that's what happened, that Tony Soprano had been finally taken out. Now, there's two reasons for that. One, he was the star of the show. No one wants Tony to die. I get that part. But the more interesting human reality there is no one wants to believe that that's what happens when we die that the music stops and the video stops and it's just black and there's nothing. So to me, death is the end of your personal movie. Your movie ends at that time. And to me, as somebody who, you know, I actually believe in for like physician assisted suicide. If, if your movie sucks really bad, you ought to be willing, you know, you ought to be able to end it in a dignified way. I have no problem with that at all. In fact, I've lived a large portion of my life. I don't feel this way anymore now because I have one kid and one another one on the way any day now. But I have often believed that that's how I would eventually end my life. When the movie stopped being worth watching. And and by the way, that the movie can suck at times, but it's still better than no movie at all. 
<laughs> right? I mean, the movie has to basically be fingernails on a blackboard constantly with no hope of change for you to decide, okay, I'm ending this movie. I'm, I want this series to end. And I want to go to fade to black and stop the music. Now, when you have kids, that equation changes dramatically. Because now I got a whole new movie to watch. Seriously. My movie, and I know that people are not going to take this the right way. My personal movie is basically almost over at this point. My career is basically over at this point. My personhood is almost over at this point. I mean, once I have a second kid as a 50-year-old with a wife and and two daughters uh, and, and no semblance of a real career, and even my golf game is shot to hell to the point where I can't play in major tournaments anymore, there is no personhood left. There is, there is no element of John Ziegler left in my story. I am now a bystander. I'm now a someone who is just watching. There, and you know, I'm not happy about that, but that's just the reality of it. I, I will cease to exist for all intents and purposes fairly soon. Maybe not 100%, but pretty darn close to 100%. So now my movie is basically watching my daughter's movies. And luckily for my own self, although who knows, you know, what advances in healthcare they're going to be moving forward. <laughs> if, Trump's, if Trump's involved, probably not too many, but I digress. You know, the reality is now that with my newest daughter, I mean, I'm going to be probably dead of natural causes by the time she'll have nothing to do with me anymore. You know, that she'll, her life will have completely moved on depending on when you define that as being. I mean, at least you get them to college. I'll probably, all things being equal, I'll probably live that long. And after that, you know, if you have a really good relationship with them, they might still give a damn about you. But for all intents and purposes, that's it's over at that point. But that's still another 18, 19 years away. And I've never had any interest from a physical standpoint of living past like 65 or 70. I've, I've, I've seen too many people live past 65 or 70. I'm like, what's the point? What, what? I mean, if you, you can't play golf and you can't really have sex anymore, why, why bother? There, there's really not, you know, again, other than watching your kid's movie. So because of that, because, you know, as long as I want, as long as their movie is worth watching, I'll try to keep myself in decent enough shape where I can live long enough, assuming the money doesn't run out. And, uh, you know, that's my basic goal at this point. See my kid's movie as long as I possibly can. Because my movie is basically over. And if I was going to describe my movie, and this is what I'll, it probably won't get put on my gravestone because I'll die before my wife and she won't let me put it on there. <laughs> that's the, but if I, had, if I had the choice of putting something on my tombstone, it would be something like, should have been better, could have been a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> and that's really, that's really my life. I had a lot of really interesting things happen. A lot of good things happen. A lot of bad things happen. Boy, uh, you know, just this last 10 years, uh, there has been a lot of psychological trauma in the world of John Ziegler. I mean, in the last 10 years, I left KFI radio in Los Angeles, which I was happy about, but under, incredibly excruciating circumstances. I had to endure the election of Barack Obama. I, I made a, uh, a, a movie uh, 
that was a really great documentary called the blocking the path to 9-11 where I got completely screwed by citizens United, the uh, conservative group that actually then ended up helping Donald Trump get elected. My grandfather died under horrendous circumstances because he ended up getting taken advantage of by uh, his own son in a way that would set up our entire family for a massive earthquake split Uh, that would even include my own siblings. So I lost my grandfather, ended up losing my three siblings. Not that I cared that much about them, but that was, that was incredibly traumatic and even made me rethink my entire view of my grandfather, who was one of my heroes. And, and then also by extension, uh, my mother, who obviously I've already discussed had a huge influence on me. The whole Tiger Woods scandal happened right after that. So I lost Tiger Woods, which was a, a huge portion of my life. The game of golf itself has now been destroyed by, by technology. Uh, my own game sucks, so golf, you know, is nowhere near as important uh, to me as it used to be. Uh, Sarah Palin fucked me over and uh, completely sold out after I made a movie about her. Uh, that was incredibly traumatic. The whole Penn State thing happened and has been the most excruciating five years of my life. Uh, and then I had to endure... Donald Trump destroying what was left of uh, one of the few institutions I still cared about, which was the Republican Party and conservatism, while potentially destroying the country. That's all in 10 years. I mean, that's a lot of psychological trauma right there. I mean, virtually everything that was important to me has, has uh, in some way, shape, or form uh, been destroyed. And, um, you know, and, and my career has definitely been one of those things, not that I care. See, I just don't, I don't care that much about that. I mean, other than the issue of being able to provide for a family, which fortunately right now is, is not a big problem. And hopefully depending on how things work out in the future, won't be either, but you know, it's still from a, from a human dignity standpoint, it'd be nice to have a career, especially when you, you feel like you have an important voice that's not being heard on some incredibly important issues. So that, that part is psychologically distressing, but it, it's not because I don't, I really I honestly don't give a crap about being uh, a member of the the mainstream news media. That 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 does not in any way, shape, or form uh, entice me. It just because it, again, I don't care about being loved. That that's really what drives most people in the media. You need to understand that it's mostly about narcissism, wanting to be a celebrity, wanting to be loved by people they don't know, wanting to be able to have sex with women easily. None of that matters to me. I'm married. I couldn't care about less about that now. Not to mention the fact celebrities incredibly overrated, having had a, a slice of it. it, it I, I don't need any more. It, it's not it's not important. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Now, of course, also in the last 10 years, I got married and had one kid and I'm about to have a second one. So I guess if you look at it from a the big picture standpoint of every good thing I had and vice versa, I, I guess I paid a very steep price. For the fact that I, you know, I have a, a good wife and a and a very interesting kid, a firecracker uh, named Grace Ziegler, who we've had on the program before. You remember? Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Remember that? I mean, is that that's her. I mean, she's she's incredibly difficult, but a lot of fun, and uh, a second uh, daughter that's coming. Uh, like I said, any day. So I guess in exchange for enduring all the trauma that I just described, I get that in return. And so that keeps me going. And uh, and they gave me, Grace, my my wife did a great great 50th birthday. It was a lot of fun. And uh, probably, especially since we're going to have another kid, you know, right around my birthday, probably the last legitimate birthday I'll have. 
because because now with the kid's birthday that close, my birthday will get obliterated forever, which is perfectly fine. Because like I said, my life as I view it is pretty much over. It's now all about my kids. And, uh, you know, that gives me some hope because, um, you know, at least if there's anything like her, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be boring. That's for damn sure. And that's when it's all said and done, that's really all you can ask from your movie. That it not be boring. That's what I can say. It has not been boring. And I hope you haven't been bored by this podcast. So as I've always said, I only ask two things of you. I do this for free just because I think my voice is interesting. And I hope somebody out there, if they're curious about a different perspective and what's really going on in the world, they will hear it. Well, if you like it, make sure you share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or just via word of mouth. And also make sure you do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and you use sheets at night, pay close attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler, and our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.